Hello and welcome to the second Electric Culture podcast. My name's Erica McCoy and I write the Electric Culture blog and I also produce the Electric Culture podcast. Just before I start, I want to say a quick thank you to Cecil and Amina of the Two Brown Girls blog, Edita Raoul, the poet who will feature in this piece, and Sarabjeet, Gerbach and Ricky for providing beautiful music throughout this podcast. This is Electric Culture, Brown Girls. I decided to contact the Two Brown Girls blog late last year to collaborate for my blog, Electric Culture. South Asian Traditions is decorated in beautiful music, design, film, food and spirituality and so much more. Yet I felt that the image had been shrouded by topics of rape, abuse and extremism. And although that is highly relevant, it's a global issue. I particularly liked what Amina and Cecil were doing with their blog, fearlessly and very proudly exploring South Asian culture in all its beauty. So let's start off the podcast with a poem called The Little Mermaid by Aditi Rao. Uh, she recorded this out in Delhi. Um, we made contact online and she was very lovely and very helpful in doing this. I wanted bits of poetry to kind of break up the podcast for a bit and allow you to have a moment to be taken off to a different place in your mind so you can then process the information. There's quite a lot of stuff. We talk about marriage, we talk about expectations of women, we talk about what feminism means to South Asian women. There's so many topics, which is quite heavy for an hour podcast, so I thought I'd chop it up nicely with a little bit of poetry in a very sort of um, artistic way, I hope. So make sure you comment, make sure you like make sure you share and all that stuff um let's just kick start this podcast this is uh electric culture brown girls the little mermaid was indian that is the part they got wrong the blue eyes were only the sea turned inward the darkest skin will pucker into white underwater It does not make me less of who I am. I grew up worshipping a woman proved pure by burning. Can you blame my grandmother then for her counsel about pride and pain? Everyone, from married aunts to rapist cops to shadi.com, warns me of the danger of a voice, promises men will love me for my hips and eyes, the tongue was not a sacrifice it was the price of immortality as for the prince i know a man who does not notice bleeding feet is never worth them it was never about him but don't we all tire sometimes of the colors we grow up with even as a girl i loved being something else travel is the greatest disguise murder did not scare me but i knew an indian woman who leaves for love of adventure or man or horseback lessons never returns the father grieves from a distance won't swim to her shore the grandma is always losing hair it is a constant choice between love and family 
That is the ultimate sacrifice, the absence of guarantees. What is feminism understood as for you guys? Feminism, it's a big word. Yeah, it's it's a word I think that's been kind of created perhaps in Western countries like the UK and America. Mm. Um, so obviously we're taking that concept. But feminism for me um, is something that I've come to terms with and it means kind of freedom, equality, actually I don't really like the word equality but like yeah freedom of choice and freedom and autonomy for women no I can yeah, yeah I completely agree with yeah, I, I don't know about equality I don't but yeah definitely freedom and freedom of choice I think freedom of choice too why, why and not opportunities equality? I think the freedom to grasp opportunities as well mm. Mm. why not equality mm. um, because um, a lot of the time feminism puts um, when you say equality it's like making men as a standard so it's like women equal to men women are equal to men yes they are equal but they're different and um that's not a good or a bad thing necessarily i think maybe certain so the the reason that equality has arisen i believe is because feminine qualities or maybe female roles have have not been given value and they've been devalued perhaps by men or by women themselves it's like you know what do you want to be what do you want to do those kind of things and for me to say I want to raise a family and I want to you know look after my home and create an amazing environment for my family and my friends at home yeah that's seen almost as giving up like what do you guys want to do what's your sort of goal is the goal to be a traditional housewife I think for me um I have always kind of wanted to and as well, explain sort of your background, your religious and cultural background. Yeah, so I'm I'm Muslim, and uh, um, you know I'm studying at the moment. I'm studying Islam at master's level, and you know part of me does want to you know do the whole like PhD and maybe go on to teach and stuff. And I definitely want to do that, and I feel like I will. But at the same time, I I want to when I have. <clears throat> when I have a family mm. or when I start having a family I want to stay at home and I want to raise my family like my children and I want to create just like what you said see like a really nice atmosphere at home and have that kind of under control that's my choice and a lot of people are kind of like oh my god but you know you're going to be really educated and you're not going to do anything with it it's like yeah you mm. know I can still do stuff part-time but me personally I want to take that on as my primary role and there's nothing wrong with that and I feel like I constantly have to justify it like yeah you know like I think it's important and but people mm, don't understand because, because they're like you know oh but you know what why why do you just just want to stay at home I'm sorry but would you like to try staying at home and raising a family because mm. you know it's really tough I know but and is that because you've been socialized because there's going to be a lot of people listening that are going to be like yeah. that's because you've been socialized to think that way you're from a Muslim background that. yeah but it's all of, traditional to but all that. of my cousins are educated like career women mm. like I'm talking about from here from India it's a little bit different but from here the pe- and the Muslim women I've been around are all career driven I mean my mom is a is you know she stays at home and she she doesn't work but um like all of my like older friends that I have who are Muslim they 
they you know they have they have careers so I haven't so really yeah, been. you haven't been no much. not at all like people but always think that there's some kind of like you know oh you know you must be oppressed by your religion because you mm. want to do that like I am educated and I'm you know liberated I do whatever I want whenever I want this is a choice that I've made and it's you know it's exactly what Seal said it doesn't have any value anymore and I think that's really really sad I think it can mm-hmm. be like on the other side of the coin like it can be a socialized thing as well yeah and um you know women can um kind of convince themselves that they don't maybe i don't know like there's there should be a choice made it shouldn't be that kind of you know that's what i'm just gonna do because that's what everyone else has done and that's what my mom's done and that's what women like are supposed to do is just go Mm. down that route of you know not really pursuing either whether it might be higher education or it might be you know a job or a career like and are you, you talking know. from your perspective of being a, having a Sikh family or is that just women in general kind of thing I think um maybe from a South Asian background um it could be say in mm. India I guess there's a lot more cases where okay basically let me explain the context in yeah. um a lot of South Asian families and in the culture, um, generally, this is generalisation, um, a lot of women aren't encouraged to look beyond marriage. Yeah. So whatever you do, it's kind of like, oh, that's nice, but get married. Mm-hmm. And um, and then like story over. <laughs> yeah, all, and then it's like have kids and stuff. Yeah. But like, yeah, so um, the situation is... Um, that parents can be really encouraging when the kids are younger and they can be like putting kids in dance class and teaching their girls like so much kind of so many skills and etiquette and really training the girls up and getting them well a lot of families like want to get them educated you know have to get a degree you know pursue hobbies you know it's really great that you're into this and that and they're quite encouraging when girls are younger Mm. maybe before the 20s um but then when they get to the 20s it's kind of like you know you'd Oh, Betty, you don't need to do that. Because you, you built your wedding CV yeah. up. That's why. you don't yeah. need to. You don't yeah. need to dance anymore. You know, yeah. you don't need to like have a job. You know, try and get a husband. And I'm making a generalization. It's just, mm. it's just um, experiences that I've come across, and it's like, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is that women aren't encouraged beyond a certain point beyond marriage. It's all kind of just there to to create you into this eligible mm. woman. Because I've I've chosen it, but is that because you're yeah. educated? Yeah, I think that's is that because you're gonna... coming from an educated background where you can yeah. actually have an educated choice and a decision. I in, agree. In what you do, yeah, I do agree with that. Um, Women should be, you know, like educated to a really high level if they, you know, want yeah. to be, and if that's mm-hmm. in their character and all that kind of thing. But um, definitely, education is is about yeah educating them in the right way to make that informed choice yeah and just you know that's so so important and I think exposure as well more than sometimes education it's about having the experience of like you know what there's a world out there Mm -hmm. do you want Mm -hmm. it do you know what it is you know beyond your little town in Bradford or whatever (laughs) like you know do you know what's out there that you can do you can do it if you want to 
Or you can take parts of it. You don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not about have the world or stay at home. It's not that choice and it doesn't have to be. Right. It's like you can engage in the world and be a part of the world and do something part-time or do something from home or, you know, if you just want to sit on the sofa all day, that's fine. If you, I mean, like, I wouldn't do that, obviously. But I'm just saying. <laughs> it's but if choice, you, yeah. It's that choice. It's having the freedom to choose, which obviously, you know, I keep coming back to, but... Yeah, I think it is taken like if you want to stay at home and you want to work and you've made and you don't want to work, sorry, and you've made the choice not to. Mm. It's like you know you have turned your back on the world of opportunity. It's like no, you haven't. It, it's not like it's not black and white at yeah. all. We're gonna kind of move on to the next bit. Do you think that feminism from like you know British ideas of feminism, sort of Western idea of feminism, does that apply to? Uh, people from South Asian cultures, do you feel? Or do you feel like it's forced on you guys to apply it into your lives? I mean, you know, traditionally, Western backgrounds and Western cultures are completely different to South Asian families. Um, In terms of, you know, Western culture is quite individualistic and it's about Mm. the person kind of doing whatever they have to do. Mm. Whereas with South Asian cultures, there's so much uh, to do with family and, and making sure that you look after your family. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like Western feminism doesn't really take into account religious values or cultural values. And that's why I don't... Personally, I don't even like calling myself a feminist because it's just like the idea of it is just... I've just had a lot of bad experiences. People Mm. like, oh, you know, but like, how is this like a... I don't know. It's just I don't like the phrase. I don't like calling myself feminist, but, you know, I kind of like am um, in my beliefs. But yeah, I don't think Western feminism takes into account religion, religious values. I think a lot of people who are... This is my experience again i know i'm generalizing but my experience with western feminists has always been you know and they're anti-religion they're anti-culture you know we're all this one big family and there's no kind of cultural boundaries they don't understand cultural values and for me i think it's a big big issue and it's a it's a big problem not problem but it's a big clash at the moment that's happening Mm. there's a transition period going on at the moment if i give an example a very extreme yeah there's that yeah (laughs) there's that extreme example um of feminine if you want to say yeah no i i guess like the whole point of feminine is just like you know islam is oppressing you the hijab is oppressing Mm. you take it off where some women are you know they have these quote feminist unquote values but they want to wear the hijab it's like it's the you know if i want to choose to wear a hijab it's up to me why are you taking it off for what is your problem (laughs) i think they're generalizing to like women that have been forced to wear it yeah and then they think that that's just everyone but it's not so (laughs) (laughs) i know i know like amina you don't wear a hijab or anything Mm -hmm. and you're muslim what can you explain what the hijab means for muslim women the thing is like i'm kind of transitioning into calling it headscarf and not a hijab because hijab is actually like comes from the root hajaba which is to veil i mean the headscarf people who wear the headscarf are obviously wearing the headscarf to cover their hair because it's like a sign of Mm -hmm. modesty and you know it should reflect hijab should reflect your whole state so it should be like you know your 
um, basically I feel like representing your religion which a lot of women are turning away from like women who wear the headscarf are like I shouldn't be the banner of Islam or whatever and no one is saying be the banner of Islam but I feel like it's really silly if you wear a hijab if you wear a headscarf and you're kind of like but I don't want to be a representative of Muslims because if you walk down the road people are going to look at you and know you are a Muslim and you should be proud of that you should be proud of being like yeah I can represent you know Islam the headscarf is a symbol of religion and yeah. I feel like if you're not prepared to kind of represent, represent that, yeah. whereas then don't, well, I'm, yeah. the thing is I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not prepared to do that I don't wear the headscarf yet because I can't, I don't right now I don't understand the connection between modesty and the headscarf right now. Maybe in a week I will, in a month I will, and, you know, that's totally fine. And I've listened to other women who wear the headscarf, and their reasons don't make sense to me, but I, I'm not part of the equation. You know, if they want to wear the headscarf and they think that wearing the headscarf in that way or in whatever way brings them closer to God, it, blah, 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 that's totally fine. Mm. It's up to them. But me personally, it doesn't, like, I don't, understand the connection between a headscarf and the hijab which means to like modesty a hijab I is a much wider yeah, it's a much wider term i don't i can't make that connection okay. yet and i'm working on it but and yeah, this whole a, modesty thing mm-hmm. is this i mean this is what i've heard and maybe i'm wrong the hijab basically means that for a lot of girls and women they can go to school and become educated is that right or was this like some sort um, of fake I think thing that's been thrown that's out? That's a part of culture. Like some okay. countries and, you know, they force women to wear hijab and that's wrong yeah. to wear the headscarf. I'm just going to keep saying <laughs> those two terms. But I mean, anyway, but, yeah. I mean hijab, um, not only the headscarf is in like, if you wear a headscarf, well, say, if you wear a headscarf and you're practicing hijab or whatever, you wouldn't really wear a headscarf and go out in a miniskirt. Like, you know what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying? Like, it's, it's Which, yeah. by the way, it's I connected... have seen, but I'm <laughs> yeah, not even yeah. making that so up. That's what I mean. Like, You've not just it. the head. Well, not a miniskirt, <laughs> but I've seen something like this girl <laughs> was like wearing like a maxi skirt with like this massive slit and you could see her legs literally and she was wearing the hijab. And you know what? That's her issue. It's not mine. I'm just telling you what yeah. I saw. So that's what I mean, like, as in they're wearing the headscarf, but they're practicing hijab, they're practicing modesty, as in they're covering majority of their body, whether that's, I know, because some body parts are controversial, like, yeah. there's a, there's a debates about certain mm. things, certain regulations. Mm. But, like, um, so, yeah, so you're saying headscarf, but it is also covering hijab is a yourself. state it's not a thing but people have made it into a thing like now the whole the term is hijabis it's people who wear scarves mm. but mm. actually like back when i was like in year 10 we used to call them scarfies because they're wearing a scarf right uh, okay. but i don't know how it's turned into hijabis so the, it, hijab the wider is a philosophy a, has been attached to a clothing or yeah. a way of dressing yeah which yeah. personally i don't agree with but you know so the scarf totally. isn't called the hijab you know what or is, is it I don't this is the thing like hijab is a state like you can wear a scarf you can wear a niqab which covers your eyes you can wear burqa which is like the whole thing there's different types I don't know all different types of scarves I don't know like you know it varies from region to region people in Afghanistan will wear a scarf a different way it'll have a different name or Mm. they'll wear like a different type of you know a bio is a new it's the thing where like you cover it covers all your clothes there's so many different terms and we just kind of say hijab but it's, it's like, like what Seattle said. Yeah. yeah. Hijab is actually a philosophy. It's not yeah. like a thing. 
and that's why that's you know people call them hijabis i i don't know i mean yeah it's just a thing you know mm-hmm. it yeah. has it has been warped and changed hasn't it yeah yeah now let's quickly go back to the point that Seetal started making just before you got talking on headscarves she starts to talk about the clash between this western type of feminism and this feminism that is maybe yet to be discovered in India. So, yeah, because I just had the example of, um, extreme example, which, I don't know, some people might argue against me to say that it's linked to feminism and linked to Western feminism, but I think it is. So, India's Daughter came out, the BBC documentary, Mm -hmm. is really, really controversial. And it was horrific and it was really, really disturbing. Do you want to quickly explain what that was about as well? Okay, to get a quick overview, India's Daughter was a documentary trying to summarise and cover the whole incident that happened of the Delhi uh, gang rape case on a bus by Jyoti Singh, was the girl who was gang raped. Yeah. Um, It was December a couple of years ago now, I can't remember the exact year. Um, So it's, but since then, since that particular incident happened, Mm. for some reason, like, um, for a good reason, the whole of India exploded. There was a lot of protests. There was like news coverage, like hundreds, thousands of people took to the streets and protested against this incident. And it opened up a lot of wider issues to do with women in India, women in South Asian culture and how they're treated in society and mm. within families as well. Like mm. just a huge, it was just explosion. And, and there's kind of a up. massive contrast from what I learned from that documentary there's contrast between countryside and the city Mm. yeah Yeah. so i think that reflects the western influence coming in Mm -hmm. to the cities so um the kind of the way i think it's linked to western feminism is the situation of delhi mumbai bangalore whatever you want to call it like these kind of like big urban centers and cities they've now got a lot of western influence india in general the media and um, Bollywood films, if you want to say, has a lot of Western influence now, and yeah. a lot of corporations. You know, there's malls popping up. There's Western clothing, um, valuing Western, you know, ways maybe like um, ways of life and um, especially clothes. I can say that music. I yeah. can say um, I'm not sure about culture, but definitely Bollywood. Yeah, our yeah. experiences of going to really India. Music. I didn't think music would have. Yeah, like, like also, it, why do people in India love Pitbull so much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. like, I don't even know what that's about. Like one of the biggest Bollywood <laughs> stars, um, Priyanka Chopra, is like, you know, she's doing a lot of collaborations <laughs> with with Western rappers and yeah. all of that. So that's a big reflection of I think the way India's looking and their interests are lying um, in that way. And our experiences of going to India personally mm. and talking to people there, it's like. They're not really interested that their own culture isn't very cool. It's all about, Mm. you know, what's happening in London, what's happening in America. It's very Americanized. So do you think that feminism in Western cultures can appeal to people, brown girls, South Asian communities? Yeah, the situation is like with this whole... Sorry, I keep coming back to this, like, awful thing. But... Mm. um, I believe that these kind of incidents and this whole women's rights in India and even here, to be honest, is like, this sounds quite profound, but I think there needs to be a new feminism 
for for South Asian women, there needs to be a brown feminism for brown women, South Asian women. Then there needs to be a new one. It needs to be created. It needs to be evolved. And this new form is because at the moment there's this Western feminism with all these kind of, you know, oh, women can be independent, women are courageous, and women, you know, can um, achieve whatever they want to achieve. It's very, you know, individualistic, like you were saying. Mm. So that's that influence happening in India where women are going out to work late, they're wearing whatever they want, you know, it's just jarring, it's very jarring and that clash is where these kind of incidents like um, Nirbhaya or, you know, these kind of gang rape things, that's that's when it happens, Mm. is when this clash happens. She was out late at night because she was doing whatever the hell she wanted to do. But But then there there was these backwards, like, awful and really um, kind of mixed up you know ways that that are very you know um it sounds very i'm very ashamed to say this but me and amina were also discussing that the kinds of some of the ideas that a lot of the men in the documentary were talking about the way they were thinking about women that you know women are disposable or women are Mm. you know less than men or women you know just awful things they're quite heavily embedded in indian culture i'm going to say that and it's just shameful to say that but me and Armin, the most devastating thing about watching India's Daughter was that how familiar the, the ideas that the men were talking about were. Yeah. It's... How uh, women are treated, like, less than, like, human. Um, mm. You know, it's just... Which yeah. doesn't... I mean, when, when I was watching it, it just doesn't make sense because for so long, even in religions in India, there's several, you know, there's yeah. loads of religions in mm. India. Women have been, like seen as goddesses or like you know at the that's top the of their clash game. though isn't it it's like the woman as a goddess this pure chaste woman mm. as a goddess or if you don't go down that route if you're not pure and you're not going to a temple every day and blah blah, blah it's like you're what seal said pretty disposable mm. it's like there's that's the only uh, to be like a goddess is not like, ambitious you know you can't how can you aspire to be like do you know what I mean it's It's not not real real at the end of the day I think the the fact of the matter is that India and throughout history has been a very heavily heavily patriarchal system Mm. and that that's the reason for this it's nothing I don't I don't think we can blame it on religion I don't think we can blame it on anything else it's just politics it's just men controlling the power in society Mm. and those kind of ideas have been like embedded quite heavily into a lot of families and a lot of cultures within India I'm not saying that Indians think like this at all Mm. like no way we are so progressive as well and we're so you know educated and incredible but I'm just saying that me and Amina have both come across these ideas within our families and it's it's very um uh kind of com- like common to hear these kind of things yeah you know? i think that's the thing that really kind of freaked me and see out. it was like watching this documentary and like just when i say connecting to the people in it i don't mean like you know agreeing with, agreeing them. with yeah. them i mean like it was so familiar the language that 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 you know what was his name mukesh singh yeah, the guy who was talking bus driver. Yeah. One, yeah the bus driver like the language he was using is very kind of like colloquial and i hear my cousins talk like that and i talk like that you know yeah, when yeah. i'm speaking urdu hindi and like you know the play like we've both been to delhi me and seal and being knowing everything in that documentary like hearing people and seeing people and like i just felt like i don't know 
it was just so familiar that it was devastating for me to watch that and be like crap like this is this is the kind of culture I connect with and it also has this side to it too and I knew it but to be faced with it in that way was like pretty messed up. It was only a pause, a kind of photo-taking, a moment to remember. Before I knew how easily he'd give up our daughters, how little he understood of their creased throats, shrinking shoulders, trembling eyelids. I knew there was no returning to a city where my husband had not proposed the rape of our daughters. But don't we all look back sometimes? Besides, I was always made of salt. Disinfect, melt, preserve. It is the opposite of dying. I chose to remain. One of the defence lawyers was saying, you know, a woman is like a flower. Yeah. And... If you put the flower in a garden or whatever, it becomes oh, beautiful and it's protected and it's nurtured. If you put it in the gutter, you know, it obviously it will get destroyed. destroyed. Yeah, um, that makes it sound very nice. That makes women sound very beautiful. Oh, it's so nice how we're so valued and we're so you know we're nurtured and we're protected and, and we're like, pretty like we're, flowers yeah mm. we're valued in that way mm. it makes women sound valued but really it's very suffocating and very trapping yeah. so myself i will give an example of how this is similar to that my mom's always told me daughters are diamonds mm. if you have a daughter yeah. in a family she's the diamond of that family right diamonds are pretty hard as well you yeah crack a diamond but it's pretty damn expensive too. She yeah. said, one thing she said: if there is one flaw on that diamond, one scratch or one crack is ruined. This value mm. is lost. Yeah. There you go. That's exactly the same. Yeah. It's it's saying, and I was like, oh wow, you know, I'm really valued. I'm really precious in this family. But then it's like, if one thing tarnishes my reputation, my whole family has to suffer. Mm. What? How much? Pressure. pressure is that not even pressure i mean okay let's look at it in two different ways one of the ways you can look at it is it's pressure it's mm-hmm. it's oppressive it's trapping it's it's keeping me from maybe having a certain sense of freedom yeah the other way you can look at it is that it's a sense of responsibility yeah you know mm. so what i'm saying is that the western side of feminism doesn't really look at how we can incorporate these kind of issues and like how can i make sense of that all yeah. my other friends are getting drunk and having taking you know what <laughs> yeah, doing whatever yeah. they want and you know going out and wearing things going to clubs meeting guys having sexual freedom that's what i grew up around like in my mm-hmm. high school yeah if my mom tells me that at home what do i do with it Mm. I either have a choice of getting frustrated and being pissed off in my life and being like, <laughs> I'm, I hate my culture. Yeah. It's so oppressive. Which a lot of I, it's do. not fair. Yeah? yeah. And I don't have freedom. Or it's like, you know, 
And then the other side of it, that responsibility side, is is something that's really difficult to try and come to terms with and make sense of living in a Western society. Yeah. And I think women in India are having the same problem. It's the same situation we're having here, maybe in a more extreme and mm, a harsher environment. What Western feminism says is like, who, like, you're not a diamond, leave it, forget it, forget that whole thing. Who cares symbolism. what they think? Give, like, don't give a crap. Do you who know cares? what I mean? Yeah. Who, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's who all... cares what your parents think? You who know, cares who what cares what society thinks? Yeah. And I don't, I don't really agree with that. Like, I'm with CL when I say, you know, I think it's important to represent your family's values if you agree with them. That's not to say, like, you know, if your family are, I don't know, something like homophobic or Islamophobic, yeah, you know, represent that, you're the door of the family. No, but if your family have values and principles that you respect and you are, they have put the responsibility on you to represent that, go for it. Like, that's mm. that's what I think. I don't, I don't think, which I think a lot of Western feminists think, is like, you're an individual, you know, do whatever you want to do. What are F these values that you're talking about? Me personally, I'm talking about family values, like putting your family first mm. or doing whatever you can for your family. Like a lot of South Asian culture is based around hospitability. Hospitality. Hospitality, yeah. there you go. Hospitality, being generous, giving. Mm. And I mean, I'm not saying Western feminism does, I'm not saying everyone who's, you know, Western feminist is not like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these are the values that South Asians pride themselves on. Like yeah. when you go to a brown person's house, you're not leaving till you're full, yeah. you know. Yeah. And if more than full. yeah, if you leave something on your plate, it's like, yo, was there something wrong with the cooking? Like, are yeah. you okay? Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And this is something that I love. I love that warmth that you get, and like, I'm I want to represent that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because I love it and I understand it and I respect it. If there was, which there are parts of my culture that I don't respect, that I don't think are okay, like, for example, what we were just talking about, like the devaluation of women and blah, blah, I, and I'm not going to represent that. I would yeah. never go on a, a show or anything and be like, yeah, you know, this is my culture and I'm standing behind it. You know, this is how loads of people in India think about women. I'm standing behind it. No, because mm. I think that's whack. It's about being critical and, mm. you know, critical in your choices and your um, evaluation of, of things. Um, one clear example that I can see clashing a lot and that I've seen clash a lot with women who are perhaps more westernised in their feminist approach who want to maybe... Okay, this is very general. But, they, you know, they, they're they more individualistic, they're more kind of, like, career-driven, and they're very much like, oh, it's me, it's about me. So you have this very deeply embedded culture, and I'm not sure there's an equivalent of this in, in Western, like, societies, mm. um, especially in Sikhism itself as a philosophy, the concept of seva, which is service and selfless service in yeah. sense of compassion, humbling yourself and serving others just for the pureness of it and, you know, recognising perhaps a divine in everything yeah. is it's seva. It's, it's, it's like putting yourself... Um, not last, but putting others before yourself, mm. and um, the whole thing. Amna was talking about serving your family and serving, and um, thinking about others. others. Yeah, yeah, is completely opposite to Western or maybe capitalist thought of like you know, just it's about me, it's about what I want. So that's that's where the clash comes, and that's a very clear opposite clash that people yeah. can't understand. So I think what needs to happen. That's what I was saying. I was come was coming back to was like. There needs to be a new form of feminism coming out that's like a, a kind of 
integrates all of that. Yeah, it's like a nice synchronized version, and it's taking the best of, you know, these these two kind of ways of living, and that's what we're kind of about. So as well as creating a feminism that incorporates Eurocentric ideas of equality and South Asian ideas of feminism, that takes the best of both, how can we move forward? How can we progress? How can we make sure that there is equality starting from early on? That's what we talk about next. I I think men are great. Like I used to like have a lot of problems and be like, "There's no great men in the world." Yeah. But like, thank God, me and Armin are just really grateful. Armin has got married um, recently, and I'm getting married this year. So I think our perceptions of men have changed <laughs> a lot. And you know, Armin is really close with her dad, and yeah. my dad left when I was really young. Mm. So yeah, there's like very different relationships we've had with like men and like women, and so. But I think I do believe in men, and I think uh, my personal opinion is that women can campaign all they want for feminism, mm. and they can do amazing things, and they have done amazing things already, and it's incredible. But I don't think any real change can come about until men take action and men change. The fact is, like men. Are so, what would so the ideal man look like then? Your <laughs> <laughs> fiance. <laughs> what's your fiance like without getting too personal (laughs) like yeah maybe a bit of his personality so if we kind of um link it to like a whole feminism thing and Mm. masculine thing his qualities um i didn't even think of him as like this sounds yeah this sounds really weird but i didn't even think of him as a gender okay that's quite nice. Though. I don't in look. I don't look at him like he's a man, and like I never really think about that. Mm. Um, but okay, that's that's. Mm. I'm gonna backtrack. The qualities I value in him are because basically he's been raised like a daughter of the family. Okay, that's that's quite interesting in itself. Yeah. He's one of three brothers. Yeah, he's the youngest. And he's always helped his mum in the kitchen and with household duties and, you know, being around his mum and, like, helping her out. And he's raised in that way. And there's a re- that's a really attractive thing mm. um, because I find a lot of men I've interacted with and come across don't have that women's intuition. Not only that, a lot of men that I have come across, they haven't been trained, right? Okay. This is this is my big. This is a big a issue I have. Maybe I know that's really <laughs> controversial. This is a big, big issue I have. Yeah. Okay. So let me break it down. So I have an older brother, mm. and um, from all a lot of men that I've come across, uh, South Asian men and stuff, they're not given the same training and i'm going to call it training as girls in their family in what way okay so they're not told to come and help with the food Mm -hmm. preparation Mm -hmm. they're not told to clean up the house they're not told to wash the dishes they're not told to sort out the clothes all these household chores um they're not encouraged to engage in and and you know learn how to cook that's a massive thing that's a huge thing then they're not taught how to cook they're not uh, but also, I will admit, 
um, a lot of South Asian women are far too proud to ask for help. Yeah. So they'll just slave and slave and slave away and suffer and then maybe complain that no one helps them. And, you know, because men don't have that thing. They, they think, oh, if, if she's not asking for help, she doesn't need help. No, mm-hmm. you have to help her. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, a lot of men haven't had the same training as women have had in South Asian families. And this creates a divide. Yeah. And this is another one of those things. It's like, should they have the same training? But men and women are different. Men and women have different roles. But I personally believe that housework is a lot of the time a pain in the ass. Mm. And it can, it's very, very helpful to be with someone who's going to actively help in that. Yeah, um, yeah, I I agree because yeah. otherwise men will expect you because it's like they don't know how to look after themselves. So it's like I'm gonna get married, so my wife will look after me. I don't need to know how to look mm. after myself. And this is the thing: yeah. like if you are trained, quote unquote, mm. trained, then you can look after yourself. You can cook for yourself. You know, you can you know how to clean up after yourself. If you don't have that training, you're always gonna expect your wife or a woman to do it for you. Not and yeah, not only that, you're handicapped. Yeah, 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 like exactly. I think it's harmful to men to do that because you're handicapping them. Then we decided to look at the qualities a man should have from the point of view of religion, which is maybe quite contentious. Obviously, naturally, religion has always put the man first, but if you kind of read in between the lines, we looked at some of the qualities that really stand out across religions. Islamic tradition mm. it's like in the Islamic tradition the Prophet Muhammad is you know kind of like the ideal man he's understood as the ideal man and this is like in massive contrast to the jihadi man you know who's like this strong fire with this hench beard with a gun Wait, sorry I didn't I didn't hear what you said before the jihadi Oh, I was talking about the opposite, which is the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah. So he's He's... kind of like considered the ideal man in kind of theology, in Mm. kind of Islamic thought. And to aspire to be like him for both men and women is like a big thing. That's what you should be doing every day. Your actions should emulate the prophets and you should kind of study his life Mm. and, you know, and so on. And so kind of like for Muslim men, I think if they were more like the prophet who was someone who was open, who openly cried, who was openly sensitive, who was openly merciful, because these are considered feminine qualities. Yeah, yeah, they're considered feminine qualities. And so if kind of more men, I think, were, were kind of drawn to that aspect as opposed to the jihadi fighter with a massive gun in his hand mm. who's going to go and like fight the whole of the west i yeah. think i don't think we would have this power issue that we have and there are you know there are so many muslim men like my husband for example who try to emulate the prophet and who accept my my husband will openly say you know what like to be sensitive for a man is fine mm. and you know because it is and and he is kind of like he tries to get those kind of feminine qualities but they're not really they're not they're not actually but the thing is i don't know because i feel like even in a lot of islamic thought these kind of god is understood to have both feminine and masculine qualities that's how we understand how we know god Mm. is through these feminine masculine qualities it's not like it can be it's not exclusive exactly because the prophet like i said had some feminine qualities and it's this whole idea of man and woman um, having both masculine and you feminine know we're qualities. both we're, we're both equally man and woman. Th- we're, is, yeah. we're made out of man and woman. Mm, yeah. yeah. So this that's is, our yeah. that's and, our makeup. Yeah. 
and mm. yeah so when we're talking about you know this whole like man power macho if people kind of went down to it and they looked at kind of their religion and i'm not just talking about islam you know i'm talking about christianity and sikhism and in hinduism where you, you have these, jesus man. Yeah. <laughs> you know to have these kind of sen- emotional sensibilities it's not a feminine thing at all i mean no. it i don't want to say it's not it's not a female a female thing it's not just for women yeah do you yeah, know what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. now for the galabi gang in hindi galabi basically means pink so the pink gang um, and this gang is a group of Indian women who are activists and who are against violence it was set up by Sampat Pal Davi who wanted to respond to the widespread domestic abuse and violence against women and she created a group that sometimes take quite a violent approach to men who are committing these crimes but they nonetheless try to get rid of it and uh, make sure that there is justice for oppressed and abused women. They wear pink, which symbolises strength, and they they carry bamboo sticks. Um, That's for when weapons may be used and needed. So we cannot ignore that there are feminist movements working to alleviate some of the issues against women and the violence against women. Can we talk about the Gulabi gang? Am I saying Oh my god, I love the Gulabi gang. I'm telling you. Ten years from now, I'm there. Watch me. I'm going to be on TV smashing up things. Watch. Trust me, I'm not even joking. Everyone's laughing, but I'm not even joking. I've been practicing my moves. explain what the Gulabi gang is? Basically, they're a collective that kind of go around in... I think it's... I think it's... Yeah, it's predominantly rural areas i think it might be in gujarat yeah yeah really hard all power to us gujaratis man (laughs) going for it yeah and what they do is when there's kind of an outbreak of like domestic violence Mm. in their villages i think they're heavily based in villages they're not in cities um or like somebody's been raped or something is going down where a guy is being unfair or unjust to a woman well, just, even women are just being yeah yeah, left, yeah yeah they kind of go and break it up or they try to sort out the situation and if you're a rapist and you're caught by the globby gang then i feel really sorry for you mm. because they're like trained in like stick fighting and yeah. they just kind of beat the shit out of you basically sure. but it's yeah so the, there's a documentary about it and i think it kind of if you watch the trailer it just emphasizes that they go around beating men which is not actually true i think they are kind of like the um what's that word? they do investigate yeah they investigate and they're it. kind of like the medium of they try to i think reason and kind of understand what is happening but they do also have that sense of like people are scared of them which i love mm-hmm. because i feel like in rural areas of india that's how you have to tackle things you have to scare like mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like if a guy is scared of you he's not gonna touch you i'm that sorry is true. But in it works cities, on fear based in, yeah. in cities and stuff is different people are educated in cities they go to you know university majority majority obviously mm-hmm. but i'm talking about in rural areas like that's what you have to do do you know Mm. what i mean like um yeah that's just what you have to do and you know like for example i was out with um i was in india once and uh, i was with my cousin and my dad (laughs) i'm 
was with my cousin and my dad and uh, okay this was in the city by the way which is kind of anyway I was out with my cousin and my dad and we were like in the superstore shopping for like cutlery and stuff and uh, this was in India and these guys were like staring at me and my cousin mm-hmm. and like I, and then I didn't even notice all I noticed was my dad punching some guy and he just literally whacked him in the face mm-hmm. and the, the guy walked off and my dad told his friend the guy's friend he was like you with him and the guy was like yeah and then my dad knocked him out as well mm-hmm. and if that happened here I wouldn't be pro it because you don't go around hitting people do you know what I mean and I did have a word with my dad but the thing is in in that society that's how you have to deal with it that's how if a if a if a man is hit by a woman's father it's shameful for him and he won't do it again that's how some it's a different day. culture yeah. do you know what I mean it's and I just, I know this is kind of controversial and people will be like, oh my God, you know, you're so barbaric, whatever. Yeah, but you know what? That's how it works there, man. That's how it works there. I guarantee that guy probably, I don't know, like he's pretty, he's, he was really embarrassed actually. Mm. He walked out and he was crying and shit, but I think you know, just, that's yeah. how it works. I and think justice works at different levels, definitely. Yeah, man. And you, it's not and like a universal thing. Mm. It depends what it takes for that person to learn a lesson. Yeah, and so in rural <laughs> areas, like these gulabi gang women, they kind of just go and they kind of create a f- fear and an yeah. image and a, a reputation. And oh, it's gully, man. It's yeah. gully, you know. I l- yeah. Like, um, there's a part in the documentary, I think, where a lot of the police who are involved in these kind of cases against women, like, I remember one of the cases was where this woman had been burnt to death in her kitchen and like you know it was it was uh, it was passed off as a kind of accident like but but she'd been like burned alive in her house um but the kind of investigation was that the family had planned this to happen Mm. um so but the police officer was saying that you know a lot of families don't actually want to pursue these incidents so if their daughter's been raped or something, the family won't want to solve it. Yeah. Because it's, it's shameful. Shame, or yeah. maybe the family's even behind, like, these kind of things. Mm. Or, like, you know, maybe it's honour killings so, or those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. So the family's behind it. Why would the family go to the police officer to, sol- to solve it? Yeah. So then the, the Gulabi ca- gang comes in as an independent kind of thing Which and intervenes is. into yeah. it. Now, I don't know if you are as curious as me, but halfway through the conversation, I thought there's so much stigma attached to this violence against women and families deciding not to mention it and families deciding not to report it to the police. How, who's going to talk about the issues? Who's going to bring them up? Is it right for a Western, white, middle-class news reporter to be talking about it? Is it even right for me to be talking about it? Who's going to talk about some of these issues? And we went a little bit into that. It's quite interesting. It's quite interesting what they say. I mean, we are, like, not just we as in Seattle and I, but kind of young brown girls. And all the students have protested, you know, yeah, in it's India. Not a, like the, because this, this is, is like so a new cool. generation of people who are kind of you know speaking out against this stuff Mm. because they've had enough and and they are growing up in different societies to their pre to their parents generation as well like there's a huge shift that happened like my parents well Amina's parents migrated from you know India and Pakistan like my parents migrated from Kenya and Punjab and that kind of thing and um 
my mum was born in Kenya. Like, it's, yeah. it's such a massive shift that's happening with our generation. And even, like, um, you know, our generation in Canada, in America, in India itself. It's just a huge cultural shift that's happening at the moment where second-generation immigrant kids or even kids in India, you know, it's, it's different. There's a different society and maybe it's more westernised. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. But the fact is that we're questioning a lot of the prejudices that have been running in our families. Yeah, it's and, like yeah. we're kind of owning it. Do you know what I mean? And we don't need white people to talk about our plight. We don't need white people to talk about our culture like they know it. I think this is the thing. Like a lot of academics and people, you know, they think you can study a culture and read about culture and write about culture, but if you're not born and brought up, you won't know. You won't understand. Not hundred like, percent. You might like might like eighty percent of them. Yeah, you might eighty percent. You know, <laughs> you like might. You might go live with the locals in India for like two weeks or something. But do you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. culture is not something that can be studied. It's something that you live and mm. it's something that is a part of you. And if it's not a part of you, then, you know, you don't need to be talking about it. Okay. That's quite an interesting view. <laughs> that's <a> very con- <laughs> this is, again, my view. And yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's, that's what exactly I'm saying. what this like, is. Because, I mean, there's going to be... There's loads of white people that are brought up in, in India um, that go to either international schools or go to schools just out there that are just regular schools Mm. um are they in a position are they in a place to to talk about indian culture to sing or to you know study and then teach and then or you know whatever it is that's um you know about india are they in a position to be able to do that i think yes they can and I don't want to say no, you're not allowed. But um, I think the most important thing that I really respect and that I think, yeah, is very important is they have to recognise their themselves. They have to look at themselves and realise the context, context with which they have learnt the culture and they have mm. understood the culture and where other people are coming from and they can't the, the biggest thing that is is the most important is that you can't claim to know yeah don't claim to mm. know so if someone is say teaching yoga mm. right that's a very common example right now so popular um don't claim to know everything in indian culture uh, South South Asian culture, actually, um, and I think parts of Middle Eastern culture as well. If you're dark skinned, you're mm. considered to not be as attractive as, as someone who is light skinned. That's kind of like the stigma attached to dark skinned Asians or Middle Easterns or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right now, I am someone who is light skinned. I have colored eyes, and according to that kind of the South Asian understanding, that's considered really beautiful. Mm-hmm. They don't look at your features. They don't look at your body type. It's just the coloring of you now if i was to say you know i totally understand how dark-skinned asians feel that's that's crap i don't because i haven't been in that even though being indian and pakistani is part of me i don't understand you know how Mm. it feels to feel that way so i could never talk on behalf of someone who has felt that way i can stand up say it's wrong because i think it is i think it's unacceptable i think it's disgusting every time i see that attitude come up in my own family here in india pakistan i always stop it because i think it's horrible but 
it's easy for me to say these things because I haven't experienced them. Somebody mm. else who is dark skinned seal is, is darker than me. So she has had this kind of experience before. I would never, do you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't mm. claim to know what it feels like because I, I don't think, know. Yeah, yeah, it's about you know? it's about your struggle and it's about yeah. understanding other people's struggle. I 100%. know a lot of like Indian classical musicians and there's a lot of Indian classical artists who play music, who sing out there. Um, who've trained heavily in the art form they're incredible at Indian classical music they're like sometimes they're a lot better than people who are brown playing Indian classical music and I don't want to say I backtrack I don't want to say that they can't claim to know because they've they've been through a lot of training and a lot of struggle and they've probably even been through their own struggle by being judged as a white person playing Indian classical music so that's a struggle in itself that I won't be able to understand and I can claim that I think, yeah, so it's just about recognising that you can't claim to understand another person's struggle. And yes, you... Especially on a general scale, like, you can't claim to understand the struggle of, like, the people of India. Yeah, like, just, that's, you know, that's something that they've been through and don't... But then also you've been through your own thing that they can't claim to understand. But I think, yeah, what gets me is that sometimes white people think that they know when they don't and it's like you don't really know just because you've studied yoga in India for like uh, you know seven years ten years or in an ashram (laughs) don't you know think you know everything about Indian culture no it's just like don't generalize don't broaden it yes you might be very very good at your craft or what you've learned I recognize that and I really respect that but don't think that it applies to everything and Mm. everyone because that's a really unhealthy way to think as yeah. well. Yeah. I don't really. To round up the podcast, we talked about what it means to be a South Asian or British South Asian woman um, and what feminism means to them, Seetal and Amino. We talked about headscarves and way way back all those minutes ago we talked about headscarves and uh the hijab which is quite a nice interesting aspect to the conversation we then talked a little bit about the delhi bus rape which was awful um and what impact that had on women in india and the the massive culture clash sort of between striving for this western idea and western culture and then that clash between some people who have quite a conservative view of how women should be and then we move to some of the characteristics of men and women and that was quite nice and then we moved on to the galabi gang and we've covered so much so thank you so much for listening now for the last couple of minutes um i wanted to know how the amazing two brown girls blog came together and Cecil and amina wraps it up really perfectly so here is the last few moments of our interview oh my gosh yeah uh, do you want to reenact it yeah okay (laughs) okay first conversation between two brown girls which happened in like 2011 or whatever. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Hey. Yeah, we just came here because uh, everyone's getting ready to go to Gatecrasher. Yeah, I know, I'm going to that too. Yeah, what's your name? Um, I'm Amina. Oh, is that with two A's? Yeah. Okay, cool. What uh, was your name? Seetal. Okay, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Leeds, but I was born in London actually. Oh, me too. Whereabouts in London? I was born in Ilford. 
I live in Ilford. Really? Yeah, man. I was born at Barking Hospital. Oh my god, I, I was born in Barking Hospital. No oh, way. Wow. And then, yeah, that was and a very so fake, so awkward reenaction so of the conversation. But that was um, the sketch. That was, yeah, basically, that's what happened. That the 2A thing. Yeah. You also said, how is your you name? Know? I don't know how she knew. She also, like, see, you also knew that my name ends with a H. You said that too. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, does it end in a H? I was like, how the? Who yeah, are that you? is really weird. It's I don't really remember that. Yeah, you're like, two A's with that. How? Why did you even say two A's? Uh, you know what? Uni was just filled with hundreds of awkward and un unnecessary experiences I guess so it's just like probably to change up the conversation yeah I yeah guess, like, like you know when you're in freshman you just like sometimes <laughs> when I'm having a conversation I just say unnecessary things just to keep the conversation going mm-hmm. so that yeah was, keep that, it fresh that was yeah. one of those yeah. things and yeah I think we just kind of came across a lot of I mean university is always a time where you're kind of like trying to create yourself and like who am I what do I stand for what do I connect with and I think Seattle and I we didn't really connect with a lot of the brown people there because it was mm-hmm. literally like hi my name's I'm Rita but you can call me Rita and it's just like why <laughs> like um, Amrita is such a beautiful name yeah. why do you want to call yourself Rita you know it's just ridiculous <laughs> and so it was just we were always around these kind of people and then when we went online and we kind of connected through people like on Tumblr it was like these women who kind of redefining what it means to be brown and they know about their culture and they're making it relevant and they're, mm. it's just about making culture relevant yeah. and me and Seattle were like, you know what, let's let's do something, you know. Yeah. And then we created the blog and then we got in touch with like literally we've worked and got in touch with so many like we're friends with so many amazing brown women mm-hmm. and they're like so inspired they inspire us and like we inspire them. It's just this It's a huge community it's and amazing. it's growing, I and think. There's just so many of us and we need we need somewhere where everyone can come to and like we we kind of when I say we, I don't mean just me and Seal. I mean like all of these kind of brown girls. It's like mm. we're creating the movement, you know, defining what it means, redefining what it means to be a brown woman, you know. Yeah. And it's just, that's what... Because there is so much stigma attached to being yeah. brown that yeah. comes out in the news and through media, which yeah. is unnecessary. Yeah, and then yeah. at the same time, you know, when I was growing up, I was called like a coconut. Mm-hmm. Like a coconut is things like where you're white on the inside and you're brown on the outside. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know about your culture. Yeah. Or then it's like you're freshy because you're like speaking uh, Punjabi and like you just mm-hmm. you know it's um it's a very uh, weird kind of situation to negotiate. And I think what we're doing and what are, so many other brown girls are doing is just claiming it and making it their own mm-hmm. and creating their own with it. And there's so much creativity and passion that is involved. It's in it. amazing. Like and some like a lot of the people we know are so fierce. It's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So like we've like, uh, yeah we've come a long way with the blog. It's grown and how grown. How long have you been doing it for? We started it final year uni, so it's probably been about two years now. Two, and yeah. you know, we're getting a really good following and a lot of interaction. I think the main thing is the interaction, like people asking mm. us questions, and we get messages from people from all around the world. Like one girl was in Australia, and she was saying, "You know, thank you so much for your blog because yeah. it's made me feel like connected to my culture in living in a white society." Yeah, you know, it's where people that, yeah. come to connect. And, you know, if you live in that kind of environment, which I can definitely relate to, it's like, oh, my God, you know, there's this thing that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, like we said before, my, my parents are telling me one thing, my friends are telling me another thing. How do I make sense of it? And then we're creating this environment where, you know, we're discussing issues. So we 
on our blog we discuss social issues mm. um we discuss you know spiritual issues or religious issues and then we highlight as well like the work of um brown girls whether you know it could be like a chef or it could be like an artist or it could be anyone or someone who's doing great work in society and yeah. being creative and pushing things forward we we interview them and bring them on and feature them and yeah and then we like a bit of fashion here and there as well so and <laughs> um, we look at style as well and how things are evolving it's it's all about um how things are evolving and moving forward yeah. and like Armin said you know making South Asian culture relevant and meaningful to us and you know evolving it and always refreshing it and creating new things as well You've been listening to the Electric Culture podcast. This was Electric Culture Brown Girls. Head over to www.theelectriccave.com for more blog posts and interesting stuff like this. And of course, be sure to check out the Two Brown Girls Facebook and the Two Brown Girls website for more of their blog posts. They were a pleasure to interview. So thank you for listening. Electric Culture is an online platform that looks at worldwide arts, culture and politics. We want you to start a global conversation about the arts and culture in your cities. Topics to make you think, question and converse.